Welcome to the BizTimes MKE Podcast. I'm Arthur Thomas, Managing Editor at BizTimes Media, and this is the first episode of Leadership Lens, a new monthly podcast featuring business leaders from Milwaukee in southeastern Wisconsin, discussing how they lead their organization and offering insights that will help listeners improve their own businesses. Our first guest is Marquette University President Michael Lovell, who is also going to be joining us on future episodes. Personally, I'm really excited to have President Lovell join me for those future conversations with our region's business leaders uh, because his experience leading a large institution is just going to bring a different perspective and lead to different questions that I may not think of as a journalist and reporter. Uh, But before we get to those conversations, we wanted to set the stage by talking with President Lovell about his own experience as a leader and the latest at Marquette University. So welcome to the podcast, President Michael Lovell. Uh, well, thank you, Arthur, and I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you today and to be part of the podcast in the months to come. Excellent. Well, let's start here. Um, we're, you're coming up on commencement uh, later this month in May. That's exciting. Uh, I think with the third one now uh, of the pandemic era, two full, year, two full school years um, in. And, you know, higher education was one of those industries. I think there are a number of them, but higher education certainly was an industry where as the pandemic kind of took hold, Everyone thought, well, that industry is just completely upended. Um, everyone's going to be learning online from now on. Campus, you know, no one's going to be on campus, anything like that. That hasn't quite exactly panned out, but I'm sure there have been changes. So I'm curious, you know, what's changed in higher education uh, in the last couple of years? What's stayed the same? And you know, maybe how did how has that played out relative to your expectations from those first early months when there was a lot more uncertainty about where things were headed? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. The disruption of higher ed happened uh, right away as soon as the pandemic hit because we went from, you know, a traditional type education where about eight percent of our students were in the classroom to being fully online in nine days. And so a couple things that we learned is, is, as a sector in here at Marquette is that when we had to be nimble, we were. And we did something that I thought nobody could have thought higher ed would, would have been able to do. Uh, and that was to be so agile and be able to react to what was happening in the world. And so I think we're all very proud. I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, our faculty put our students first. Uh, they figured out a way to keep them progressing in, in their degrees. And um, lo and behold, you know, we're having another set of students graduate in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, again, these were students that were able to still make progress uh, during the pandemic. And so uh, so the one thing we, we again, we've learned that we can, we can adapt with technology when we need to. And so when I think about, you know, Marquette, I we always believe that it's best for us to be in community, you know, to get the full experience for our students, transform them. But uh, we also know that we can also provide similar experiences, you know, online. And so uh, as students move forward, you know, they, we, we do have more online classes they can, they can take, particularly in our J term uh, in, in the summer, uh, where we, again, we'll have, I think we'll have record number of students taking online classes in the summer, but um, <clears throat> we also can enrich uh those online courses with the traditional experience they get, uh, they've traditionally gotten here at Marquette. And so uh, we believe that the future going forward at the University of Marquette, we still want students to uh, have that experience because they oftentimes learn as much out of the classroom as they do in in Mm -hmm. the student experience. And so we want them to be able to take part in that. But uh, in times when it's more convenient or maybe for some more non-traditional learners, having more online options is going to be there for them as well. Mm Kind of makes it a little bit easier to get, uh, to the to the degree to the degree you know at the end 
um, whether you're able to add, you know, take makes it easier to do a summer class, makes it easier to do pick up one in J term, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last couple of years have been full of uncertainty um, and change and, and lots of different things. Uh, Marquette's, you know, still moving ahead. You guys have made a number of different move forward on major investments. Uh, the business school, um, you announced a new um, a recreation and wellness center. Uh, you're in the midst of a $700 million um, fundraising campaign. Curious for you, with all that uncertainty over the past couple of years, how do you approach thinking about whether or not to move forward uh, with these significant projects, significant uh, investments amid, amidst that uncertainty? So uh, obviously during the pandemic, there was tremendous uncertainty for Marquette and all institutes of higher ed. No one knew how long the pandemic was going to last, uh, how long we were going to have to be fully online, you know, how we, you know, how many students we could have in residence halls. There's just so much we, we, we didn't know. And so uh, because higher ed had not, never been disrupted like this, um, there was no one in our sector that had experience leading through disruption. And so I turned to some uh, members, both current and former members of, of our board of trustees who had been through sectors and industries that had been disrupted to get advice. And the advice that they gave me was actually was excellent. They said, um, when you're going through the disruption, make the hard and difficult decisions that you need to make uh, because of the disruption as early as possible and then start moving forward. And the sooner you can make those difficult decisions and the sooner you start moving forward, the better you'll be positioned once the disruption is over. And so uh, we did that as a campus. You know, we had, I think, eight work streams working at ways we can restructure and, and relook at the university. We made a lot of hard decisions uh, a year ago last January about the way we were going to be different. And that would you know, include being more efficient. Again, I said we restructured the administration. We did a lot of uh, things that, you know, Again, change is hard, so it was hard for the campus, but it was important. And now when I look today, uh, because we made those difficult decisions, uh, we are now moving forward on our strategic and master plans that were in place before the pandemic, and now we're able to execute on them. And so when I look at all the overall health of the institution today, in many ways, we're stronger than before the pandemic by the by the progress by the progress we're making in our master and strategic plans. And you mentioned uh, the business building. Uh, you know, we're very excited that will be opening in December. A uh, new wellness and recreation facility uh, will be open at the end of 2024. And that pro- project is so important because when I talk, meet and talk to students, mental health is in, in their overall wellness is the number one concern right now. And so we think about what our current students need, how we're going to attract future students, having a facility uh, that, quite frankly, we want, want to be uh, best in class, you know, here on campus is really important. Uh, the other th- yeah, we also making progress. We're going to open uh, a, a renovated a new facility for our nursing school to 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 produce uh, 250 uh, nurses a year in, in a sector that's really important uh, for for the healthcare system going forward and beyond. So, uh, again, you know, when I think about you know how Marquette is positioned for the future, we're also focusing on student success. Again, helping you know retain students once they get here and. We have very ambitious goals to get to uh, uh, graduation rates of 90% and first year retention rates to 94%, which would put us right near the top of the country. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the kind of master and strategic plan. Is there any element of, you know, over this period of uncertainty where you're starting to wonder, okay, do I need to, you know, do we need to scrap parts of that? I mean, you, you want to set it out and you want to have it last, but when such dramatic change happens, 
probably a, a process of, of deciding what's true, what's not true, what, what, what assumptions hold, what assumptions don't? Well, I think one of the uh, very important elements, I mentioned uh, the nursing school growth. Uh, I think the pandemic shined a bright light on our healthcare system, and we all realized how important nurses were going to be getting through the pandemic and beyond. And, and quite frankly, there's a great shortage of nurses across our country and even in our state. And when I meet with the heads of our healthcare systems in the region, they all want more market nurses. And so that part of it informed us on a, a strategic direction that we needed to go uh, because quite frankly, we always have a very strong pool for, for our nursing program. Uh, we weren't able to fill all of those just because we didn't have the physical space to, to grow the programs and admit more students. And now we've made the important decision, look, this is a strategic priority, you know, for uh, society, for Wisconsin, for Milwaukee. And so we want to be part of providing the nurses that are going to be needed for the future. And to do that, we actually are creating new and better space so we can, you can have 250 nurses a year rather than their traditional 150 that we've had in our current facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that touches on some of the challenges that Marquette has had to face. You've had your own uh, personal challenges, personal health challenges that got thrown into all of this. And in terms of dealing with a, a cancer diagnosis and, and a, a cancer fight, um, and you've kind of been pretty, you know, you announced it publicly to the university. You've shared, I've seen social media posts when you've hit various milestones. There was just some coverage in, in the journal Sentinel and elsewhere about kind of the, the journey you've been on there. I'm just curious from, uh, I guess, from a leadership perspective, you sharing all of that with the public. I mean, I think people may, if you had just had, you know, acknowledge, you know, announced that you had the diagnosis and then kept the rest of it private. I think no one would fault you for keeping a very tough thing private. Um, but choosing to share that publicly kind of as a leader of a large or organization institution, what, um, I guess what went into that for you? Well, you know, first of all, I, I didn't really have much choice kind of being the public nature of what I have that to announce that I was diagnosed with the cancer, you know, uh, just because the physical changes were going to happen to me, you know, I was going to lose my hair and other things. And so um, that part was, you know, having to share something like that publicly is not the easiest thing in the world, but I, I've gotten great benefit because of it, because uh, to be honest with you, both the Marquette and the Milwaukee community have been so supportive of me. And so I often describe how it's very, very hard for me to get down because there's so much support I get every day from people both on our campus and in our community and, you know, I can just tell you something, something happens all the time, you know, that, that, you know, gives me uh, the strength to keep fighting forward. And so as hard as that was, um, you know, I, like, frankly, I get gener- energy from being with people. And, you know, if I had taken the announcement, I was diagnosed, then I'd retreated and just, you know, kind of stayed, you know, by myself, you know, I don't think that it would have been good for me, my health, my mental and probably my physical health, but being part of this community and seeing people every day that are supporting me is, is something that, you know, quite frankly, you know, helps me get through the fight that I need to need, need, need to do. And so um, again, I, I'm very, very proud of, you know, our community. Um, I always say that uh, what makes Marquette special is the people and, you know, that I, I see Marquette at its best when people are in times of need. And it's been very humbling this year to see that support pointed at me. And, um, and so you have to have some humility to accept that, but uh, I just, I can just tell you my office is, you know, full of well wishes and, 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 let, and notes of support and uh, scripture and just things that are very uplifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Journal Sentinel story highlighted some of the 
the the balloons with uh uplifting messages and some some humor and and uh the quilts and all of those things so yeah. we'll link to that so people can check it out uh i want to back up a little bit kind of in your career so you have i think three degrees right in mechanical engineering you hold patents and oftentimes you know for especially for those in the engineering world there's kind of a, a technical path or maybe you know a leadership management path i'm curious um, what what drew you to the you know to the leadership side versus uh, continuing down the technical road? Yeah, so I so I, I did. I came you know through um, my my schooling. Uh, it was very on a very technical side, and um, in, in fact, my last two years of my PhD, my first two years um, after my PhD, I was working for a startup software company, and we went public. and And at that point, when we went public, I, I transitioned from kind of the, the private sector to higher ed. And I think I always knew I wanted to teach, you know, when I was going through to get, getting my PhD. And so I, I actually spent, you know, the early part of my career uh, teaching, doing research, you know, very much on the technical side. And, uh, but I had a lot of ideas about ways that, you know, at the time I was in University of Pittsburgh, that the institution could improve and be better. And I, and I found that when you're just at that level at the university, it's very hard for your ideas to ever see the light of day and for you to make positive change. And so I gradually started moving up people. I'd been offered, you know, uh, administrative positions earlier in my career and I, I'd never accepted them, but then I decided to start uh, moving up the ladder a little bit just because the, the higher I went, the more impact I, my ideas would have and, and the more change that I can make, hopefully that would positively impact students ultimately. And um, I, became dean at uwm back in, in 2008 and it was at a time in my career where i had that was really the decision point whether i was going to stay more technical or i was going to be more administrative and um i got recruited here to uwm to be dean of engineering and uh very surprisingly you know i was i, I enjoyed what i did uh, i was working well but after two years chancellor santiago stepped down and i was very surprised i was only 42 years old i think and they asked me to be interim chancellor and um, you know, I only accepted it because I was involved in, there was five major initiatives at the campus at the time I was involved in four of them. And I was worried that if, if, if the wrong person got in the role, some of those initiatives could have fallen by the wayside. And, you know, I was very invested in them. So that's really why I stepped in the innovation. No, I really didn't have, at the time, I wasn't thinking that I'd ever fill the role permanently. Uh, but, you know, after being in that, in the role for, you know, six months or so, I realized, you know, that um, I enjoyed it. I liked seeing the university from from that space and how everything fit together. And um, and so ultimately, I put my name in after talking to my family, whether it was going to be OK that, that I did that. And I did. And lo and behold, I, I ended up moving into the position full time. How is, you know, obviously, as you move through those different positions, your the, the amount of leadership responsibility you have uh changes you know associate dean has some responsibilities dean has more chancellor has more um how how has this leadership changed for you over that period how's your leadership style yeah. evolved over time well two things i i would say that that the higher up in the, the university uh there's a couple of things i personally had to really focus on and when i was at, at the lower levels like associate dean um i really didn't i i wasn't vulnerable i didn't you know i didn't um really think about the ways people were connected to me. I was just went off and was, was doing my thing. But as I started to move up the ranks, I learned number one, you know, people connect through you, through your weaknesses rather than your strengths. And so you have to be willing to share more of yourself 
and be vulnerable if you want to be a, a, a leader, particularly at the higher levels. And so I had to get used to, I'm, I'm an introvert, so I get used to, you know, <laughs> letting people see, have insight into me and my life. And uh, the second thing is I also, as an engineer, I was never, never a very good communicator, particularly on the, um, you know, orally and in, in, in giving speeches and stuff. And so I knew as I was going up, you know, I could have the best ideas in the world, but if I could communicate them to others, they had no value. And so I remember even when I first filled the roles interim, I actually, uh, through the suggestion of a colleague in um, the Peck School of the Arts, UWM, I actually started working with a faculty member in the theater departments so that I could become better, you know, a, you know, communicator, you know, and, and presenter. And mm-hmm. so I look back at that and that ended up being something that was very valuable, you know, for me, because then I, I did become a better communicator. And, and again, between being vulnerable and being able to communicate, you know, those are two things that I had to really focus on as I became chancellor compared to when I was at lower levels of, of leadership. Mm -hmm. You mentioned having that interim role when, you know, you wanted to make sure that those initiatives you were involved in uh, didn't go by the wayside. Just curious. I've always wondered, you know, when someone has that an interim title, isn't, you know, a, a long-term thing. And so I'm sure you want to move the organization forward, but also it's not your job to, you know, forever. How do you um, deal with that when you, there's that, the, the end date isn't exactly certain or, you know, there may be, there may be an end kind of looming for you. Yeah. So it was interesting when I, my first, I remember I was in, uh, I was in, in Madison meeting with Kevin Riley, who was head of the Dubai system when he, he had, he, you know, he was offering the interim role to me. And I said, well, you know, the title may be interim, but I just want you to know I'm going to be the acting chancellor because I'm going to continue to move things forward. I wasn't just going to be a placeholder. I'm going to be very clear that there was uh, a strategic priorities for the university that um, that were really important to, to their future. And, you know, they were things like, you know, starting the School of Freshwater Sciences and starting the School of Public Health, uh, some of the major capital projects and new um a new science building uh, it purchased in the Columbia St. Mary's hospital. And probably the biggest one for me was innovation campus, you know, out, out at the County grounds. And the, all five of those weren't, that weren't across the finish line. They hadn't all been approved yet, you know, by this, by the system in the state. And so, you know, I remember saying to Kevin, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to do everything I can to get these projects done. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think I went into it, you know, I knew, even though I didn't have the, you know, the full-time title and somebody else may be taking over. I just felt it was so important for the institution to the future of the institution to have those projects done. And, 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 you know, when you're, when you're working, you know, with the state, one of the things that UWM was, you know, there was a new administration coming in, you know, Scott Walker had just been elected. And so typically what the pressure is, is that when a new, a new governor comes in, many of the things prior to the old governor, you know, get taken away. And so I knew that there was a certain, I I, had a time window of about five months to get these projects done, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in, in, I'm very proud to say that I, we, we did get them all. They they all did get completed. The last one I remember was on December 28th. Uh, There was a, we bought the Columbia St. Mary's hospital site, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that was the last one to get done. Mm -hmm. Um, So fast forward a a few years and you make the decision to, to join Marquette. Um, and you come over and you're the first layman president in the university's history. And you're also it's coming into the top job of, of the organization. Um, so I'm wondering if you could just talk me through, you know, coming into an organization at that top role um, as a leader. You know, how do you um, kind of establish 
kind of credibility. Um, and then also having that different background than everyone who's led the organization before. Um, did that, is that complicated? Does it make it different? Or, you know, those kind of things. Um, most curious to, you know, stepping into an organization is, is got to be a, a bit of a tricky, um, road to navigate. Yeah. So I would say, um, one of the benefits I had because I'd been chancellor for four years at UWM, I didn't, I knew what the, I knew how to do the role as president when I came in, even though the institutions were vastly different. So, uh, the first thing you do, you know, when you come into a new organization, uh, which I didn't have to do at UWM because I'd already been there for a few years is I have to, you have to listen and talk to meet as many people as you can to understand, uh, the organization. And so, one of the big things that I heard in my first few months here is I was meeting, you know, both students, faculty and staff and um, other administrators was there were so many ideas within the campus uh, to to really move things forward in a positive way that didn't have a mechanism to come to fruition. And so uh, when my major first initiative when I came in on board was to raise uh, something called the Strategic Innovation Fund, and it was uh, about three and a half or four million dollars that we raised that would launch project ideas that came from the campus itself. And so uh, we did a be called the strategic um, challenge. And we had over 240 uh, ideas come to campus, you know, in that first round. I think we funded about 80 of them. Uh, some of them have have still today you know, are still transforming the campus. Uh, the, the top idea actually came from two students who were sophomores, uh, Sam and Creighton, and their idea was to create the 707 Innovation Hub, which has become a spot for on campus where students that have innovative ideas want to connect with each other and, and maybe move forward on ventures have a space to actually do that. And it's a, it's a space where we bring people from our, outside the community to come in and talk to our students uh, some of our young alumni still uh, are take part in it. And it's just, it's a very high profile space right here on Wisconsin Avenue. And it it's continued that, that innovative idea that came from, for the strategic innovation fund. Mm-hmm. And all that comes from being willing to listen, you know, first, first things first is going and listening to the, the community and not coming in with, you know, I know what I'm doing. Don't, don't, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, and and the other part is, yeah. I think the other advantage I had is being an engineer and, you know, being trained in system level thinking, uh, being in an innovative environment, you know, I was able to kind of foster a, a new sense of innovation, you know, within the campus. And, uh, and again, I think being a system level thinker, whereas, you know, my predecessors were primarily trained in the, in the humanities and liberal arts, it allowed me to, um, uh, help the university transform itself in a way where, uh, again, knowing the higher ed has to change and in, in, in evolve, you know, you know, the things that I had done in my past uh, had, you know, allowed me to, to realize it's important to try new and different things, knowing that some of them are going to fail, but then embrace that failure, learn from it and, and grow. And so mm-hmm. trying to bring that attitude, you know, to the campus was something that, you know, again, I thought because I, my training was different than others, that it's something that I maybe brought to the table. Certainly. We talked about some of the decisions, you know, having to make over the course of the pandemic and, you know, many leaders in top, you know, top leaders and organizations will say like, well, you know, decisions that come to my desk are the, are the tough ones, the 50, 50 ones that, that, you know, they couldn't be made somewhere else in the organization. And so they make it to the, the top person's desk. 
curious what what kind of decisions come across your desk on kind of a day to day basis, and what's your approach to to making them? So I would say one of my one of the big roles that I have is setting uh, the vision for the university and the strategy. And so part of what decisions I have to make are when people have ideas about ways the university can transform. You know, I have to kind of analyze them in terms of a number one, do they fit? kind of the values and ethos of who we are and two, um, do they fit the strategic priorities of the university? And three, uh, do I believe myself that they're going to move the needle? And so, uh, so I would say that, you know, because my, my position, I don't, I'm not an implementer most of the time of, of the ideas that's happened at lower levels of the university. So I also have to analyze whether the ideas we can actually execute on, because we have some very good ideas, but sometimes we just don't have, either the people or the infrastructure to execute on those ideas. And so it's really a matter of, you know, determining what are the good ideas, you know, what's our ability to execute them and how do they fit who we are and where we're trying to go as a university. Mm -hmm. Let's take a little bit bigger picture look, uh, kind of Milwaukee and Southeastern Wisconsin. Um, Obviously Marquette's a big part of that. Um, In your view, what are the, maybe some of the top issues facing the region that the region needs to address to you know, remain competitive and to grow in the coming years? And, and how do you see Marquette maybe playing a role in addressing them? Well, I think, you know, right now, one of the things that concerns me the most about Milwaukee we address is, is really crime within the city and some of the violence we face. You know, we, we need to get our arms around that. And I know this is a challenge that most cities our size face, you know, across the U.S. And, you know, we, I launched a president's task force on, on uh, community safety uh, we're trying to work collaboratively with the mayor and, and the police chief and uh, our police department. And we've generated a lot of good ideas about ways we can make our campus and our broader community here in the nest, near West Side safer. You know, so that's one thing that I'm concerned about that I'm hoping that we can, you know, start to address is, you know, because it's it's not one organization or entity's job. It's all of us working together, you know, to, to make an impact, you know, there. I, one of the things that I think that you know, we think about, you know, COVID just highlighted some of the disparities we face in our city, whether it's around healthcare, whether it's around education, whether it's um, economic opportunity. And, you know, those are all things, those are all, you know, big things, uh, but it's very, very important to me. And quite frankly, as part of our mission is to be part of the solutions. And so as president, one of the things that's important for me to do is create pathways for the people and some of the resources that we have on the campus who address those initiatives. So one, one of the things that I've launched since I've been here is called the president's challenge and the president's challenge. Uh, we partner with Johnson controls and previously American family provide you know, $250,000 grants to individuals from our campus, faculty and staff and students to work in partnership with community organizations to address some of these disparities. And, and so uh, right now we have a, a president's challenge based on poverty and how we address poverty. And uh, I'm very excited to say that we brought UWM in to partner with us. So now it's, it's, it's not just Marquette faculty, staff and students, it's UWMs, you know, uh, and, and I'm going to, you know, really want to thank our, our friends, Johnson Controls Good for continuing to invest in these, these projects for us. And so, you know, things like that become very, very important, you know, to ensure that we are connected uh, in actually helping our city get better. Mm-hmm. Bringing that question um, kind of to Mar- the Marquette um, situation, or I guess the Marquette context, um, top issues facing the university, uh, I guess the higher education in general in the coming years, 
and kind of how do you go about addressing those? Yeah. So I mentioned the first one, you know, in, in, in its mental health and it, it was, there was already about one in three college students uh, were suffering from some form of mental illness before the pandemic, whether it be anxiety, uh, depression, uh, or, you know, some other form. Uh, the pandemic really impacted students uh, because they became isolated, they became separated and, you know, a time in their life and they're extremely uh, social and that number went to 50%. So one in two college students was uh, battling or, or trying to address uh, some form of mental illness that they had. And so when I think about what's really, really important as a campus is to help our students, you know, find strategies and ways that they can start working on their, in their mental health uh, so that they never get into crisis because what we never want to have happen is uh, any student, you know, f- fall into some kind of crisis, uh, whether it be around their health, you know, finances, academic, and sometimes those can all be wrapped into one. Uh, and so, you know, so one of the things we're really focusing on is our student success initiative, you know, and try to ensure that we provide individualized, you know, service to our students uh, so that uh, they can not only persist, but be successful, you know, going forward. And so uh, we were very fortunate to have a, a recently have a $15 million gift from Marcus Lamonis who will create a new space and funds, endowed funds for programming and people to really help us move forward with this initiative. And so when I think about, you know, strategically, you know, what's one of the biggest focus programmatically, it's got to be student success on our campus. And again, we want to be seen as one of the best in the country at this and it's interesting because it doesn't actually I mean it's not a, a classroom specific thing, but it shows up in the classroom. It shows up in what students learn, how they do. You know, if, you, if you're not in the right mental headspace to be in the classroom and learn um, and grow, you're just not going to be successful longer term. Uh, so it's looking at that kind of broader picture. Yeah, and it's really important, and particularly to make it really easy for the students to navigate the resources we have on the campus. Cause one of the things that we find, particularly for, for first generation students that don't have family members have been to college on, on how you actually, you know, navigate things and mm-hmm. you know where to go and, you know, you know, you know, and so having a, a space and focusing on individualized student care, uh, a student will go to one place on our campus and be, you know, given or provided a mechanism for them to have their needs filled without them having to chase all over campus and Mm -hmm. and find offices that they may or may not know or understand. Yeah, certainly. Uh, We'll wrap up with this one um, coming back to the idea of leadership. And I'm curious maybe who, uh, whether they're in the Milwaukee community or broader business community or education in general, um, who do you look to for leadership inspiration? Well, I would say uh, there are, you know, leaders in the country that, that I've seen, um, you know, if I just look specifically at higher ed that have really, uh, done, you know, are pushing the envelope and doing new and different things. And so, uh, I'll give you one name, a gentleman named Michael Crow, who's at Arizona State University and the way he has grown and transformed that campus and impacted the city of Phoenix is just incredible. And so, you know, I've, I've been out to see him twice and don't understand, you know, what all have they done? What have they tried to do? And, you know, it's interesting. He had, he's had some very ambitious goals about, you know, the number of graduates they had, the number of students that would, you know, stay in Phoenix and, you know, and provide access. And then, you know, 
produce the next generation of leaders, raise the research. And I think that for, I don't know, the last seven or eight years, they've been the number one university in the country in innovation. And so, again, that's one where I learned um, when we thought about going online, you know, I, you know, um, this gentleman about Brian Mueller who runs Grand Canyon University, they really were, they're at the forefront of providing online education to a diverse population of students, went out there uh, to learn from him. And, you know, again, finding those individuals that are, you know, really doing things different. I went down uh, to Purdue University recently when, you know, when, you know, when they, you know, purchased, you know, the, um, the online, I forget that, I can't remember the name of the, but it's now called Purdue Global. And uh, just, you know, went down there and learned, you know, why did they do that? And, you know, what, and it was, it was, again, for me, learning from people that are doing really innovative strategic things is, is, is what's important. Mm-hmm. Certainly finding, finding those who are doing things a little differently. Um, and that, that op- can open up new insights. Maybe you don't do it the same exact same way. No. But you can learn That's something. Exactly right. from, yeah. Um, yeah. As a Catholic Jesuit institution, we would never do, do anything exactly like Purdue or Arizona state or Grand Canyon university, but we can learn from what they do and do it in a way that fits our values and, and who we are. And, you know, you know, we're very much a high touch, you know, for our students institution in, you know, having a, the kind of those Jesuit values as being our anchor. Uh, but we certainly can, can learn a lot from, from others. And uh, we want our, our, our vision is to be mo- the most innovative and accomplished Catholic Jesuit university in the country. And so uh, that's one way we can help get, get us there. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope uh, folks will learn a lot from this conversation and our future conversations with business leaders uh, in Milwaukee and Southeastern Wisconsin. So uh, Marquette President Michael Lovell, thanks for joining me on Leadership Lens. And thank you very much for having me, Arthur. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.